Pick Up The Pace is a rugby union podcast hosted by All Black super fan and Anadu Ryle. Two passionate rugby fanatics from Wainui Mata, New Zealand who go deep into everything rugby without taking themselves too seriously. Hey, what's up, team? Welcome back to Pick Up The Pace podcast. We'll be reviewing the quarterfinals on the weekend that's just been. And we're going to get straight into it. So the first quarterfinal was England, who beat Australia 40 points to 16. Uh, Johnny May scoring two tries. And the first try obviously came from an Alan Latour dropped ball that gave England a scrum in an attacking position. And May was at the end of the line to score. First mistake from Aussie. And mistakes were the story of this game for Australia. Johnny's made one of those players, though, is that he picks up on these mistakes. Eh? He's like Bowden Barrett. He can he can see it coming, and he's right there. He pounces on it, and Johnny May, he just executes with lethal injection, you know, just bang. And the pace showing, and the strength as well by Johnny May. The second try was uh, from a very uh, soft little touch there from Henry Slade, who came in to replace uh, Ford, George Ford, in the starting lineup. And it set up quite nicely for Johnny May, who collected and scored in the corner. So again, two two major mistakes from the Australians. Uh, that second try came from a David Pocock pass that went yeah, nowhere, which is unusual. Yeah, he tried. I think he tried to offload it like within like like half a meter or something like. And it, the play wasn't really on, eh? It wasn't on at all. He should have held the ball. Australia did have a, a overlap on the outside there, but it just did not pay off. Whatsoever. But that just put um, England on the board and it put them two tries ahead and gave them momentum. Absolutely. Half-time was 17-9 to England, but Australia hit straight back with Korobiti. Yeah, and then what do they say after half-time? you got to get points on the board. Exactly right. So Korobiti went in to score for the Australians, but again, England hit straight back after yet another mistake. Leo Lofano, uh, what an outstanding match he had. A guy, he's been through a whole bunch of issues in the last three years, health-wise. Been through a lot of adversity. Uh, we talk a bit more about Australian players and... Uh, uh, David Pocock, obviously, obviously this was his final match. Uh, so despite the, the little mistake, they're still very strong up front. Uh, Jordan Pattaya, we've got to talk a little bit about him, the 19-year-old. Up and coming, 19. Yeah. So he came in and was playing centre and he made a whole bunch of clean You could breaks. see the energy in him, they couldn't you, when he was running the ball up and he just wanted to just wanted to run it, have that freedom eh, to run the field. And near the end of the match there, England blew away uh, with an intercept try by Anthony Watson, which again came from another Aussie mistake, this time by Kirtley Beal, uh, and that put the final nail in the coffin for the Australians. So that was England looking very solid. Owen Farrell, top-notch leadership. Did you see the end of the match where he caught all the players in, into a bit of a huddle and uh, he was giving them a big rack-up? That's true leadership there. He's someone to look out for his goal-kicking, again, on form. Uh, England-Aussie, in the end, there was one-way traffic, but if you look at the stats, Australia were leading all of the key stats in this match. If you looked at it on paper... You would have expected Australia to have thrashed England. They were ahead in position, in territory, in passes, and runs, and metres runs. Uh, metres runs, sorry, and defenders beaten. Clean breaks, again, ahead in the stats. Uh, England made more tackles. Uh, in the end, obviously, we all know England scored four tries to one. Turnovers was the major stat here that hurt the Australians the most. 18 turnovers, Australia to England's But eight. it didn't look like Aussie had a game plan. It really didn't. Like, there was moments of brilliance, wasn't it? But they were few and far between. But when they got the ball, they looked... Conf- like, even um, Reese Hodge at the back there, sometimes you look confused. Do I kick it? Do I run it? He was sort of indecisive. Yeah, I think the Australians came out uh, wanting to play an expansive game. Uh, but I didn't, don't quite think they had the skill set to, 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 to execute the game plan. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like... Steve Hansen, he picks a team based on who he's playing, eh? And I think Checker just picks a team. Yeah, you're right. But it didn't pay off. 
Um, and that's it. So Checker is gone. gone. Michael Checker has announced his resignation. Uh, without, yeah, I mean, he didn't go off quietly, did he? Comments there about the CEO railing castle. Yeah, I've I, I, I seen some snippets of that today in the paper, but I did see the Twitter um, message from uh, Quay Cooper. Um, oh, yeah. Basically saying something about he should have left a couple of years ago, but I don't know. It's a little bit low. You don't really want to kick a man no, when he's down. No, that's it's a bit right. late now. But um, hey, check is gone. And um, uh, he did get coach of the year in 2015. He did. And he did take the Wallabies to the final. So, you know, even though he's got character, eh? But um, he's taken them to some, um, you know, to some top games over yeah. the years. He, you know, and he's a, he is a coach who's won a Super Rugby title and a Heineken Cup title. The European Championship, yeah. uh, so he's he's been an outstanding coach in his time, uh, but in the last twelve to eighteen months, he has not produced very good results whatsoever. He's he finishes with a thirty four win, thirty two loss, and two draws record, uh, and in twenty eighteen, uh, it was the Wallabies' worst season since nineteen fifty eight. They only won four out of the thirteen tests. He should have resigned earlier. The Aussies were stuck with him. It's come down to this. They didn't seem to mind him though, did they? No, well, who knows? Who knows what happens behind the scenes, yeah. yeah. Uh, but England progress. Uh, Australia, well, another four years for them. So, tell us a little bit about the second quarter final: All Blacks versus Ireland. Another huge game. All Blacks 46, Ireland 14. You know what it is. What a game. What a game. You know, the uh, Ireland have won the last uh, two test matches out of three. You know, everyone's on the edge of the seat. We don't quite know what they're going to bring. Ireland went into this tournament at number one. Mm. All Blacks number two. They look flat. They look flat. But, hey, you know, um, from the get-go, the anticipation was building for a huge test match, especially when the teams line up in the tunnel and they're trying to size each other up or do they look at each other or do they look ahead and then they walk out to the national anthems for their respective countries. Um, Another immense hucker with the Irish trying to drown it out with the fields of Therony, I think yeah, that's yeah, how you yeah. pronounce it. Yeah, the traditional Irish folk song. And you can hear it here in the background, can't you? You can just yeah. hear the Irish getting up for it. And the All Blacks are just laying down the challenge to them. Let's just take a little bit of that in for a second. Guys, you know, straight from the kickoff, eh? Straight from the kickoff, the ABs just played at a supersonic speed, mm. attacking at every opportunity. Mm. I'm not sure if Ireland were up for it or if they were just bewildered from what the um, the um, All Blacks brought oh, to, was to the it, game. It was emphatic, the All Blacks, especially in that first half. They blew them off the park. Blew we, them off the park. We talked about this last week. If the All Blacks were going to win, they they needed to have a good start. They needed to blow them off. In the but they went more direct, though, the All Blacks. Instead of like, um, going through a couple of phases and going out wide, mm. did you notice that the um, Moody's and the White Locks and the Reeves were just running it up the middle, going forward? Just that, you know, that, that, that brutality eh, of just punching it up the middle, yep. wearing them down emotionally. We said that last week. You can wear a team down emotion, emotionally, mm. um, physically, mm. and then if you get them up here mentally, they're broken inside. Yep. Um, and then it just causes confusion on what they do. You know, they, they're thinking, are we going to run it wide? And, you know, we're just changing our game plans up, especially having those two pivots like we've always talked about. Mm. But one thing that we did we did also touch on last week was Sexton really had to drive their ship. Yep. And Connor Murray. Yep. Tell me where they went. Where were they? They were missing in action the whole match. Uh, the All Blacks dominated them all over the park in every facet of the, every facet of the game. Uh, they dominated them everywhere. 
yeah. we, we talked a lot about the Irish defence as well. Uh, obviously, the All Blacks, yeah, 46-14. They held strong on the D-line. The All Blacks just held that line. And one thing I did notice, the All Blacks were also doing the rush defence. Mm. We played the game on their game. Um, but yeah, I, the, you know, Sexton's kicking game was normally pretty accurate or very accurate. Mm. Connor Murray's box kicks are very accurate. Um, they were inaccurate and ineffective yep. in that test match. Um, and a perfect example was um, Sexton had a penalty. What's the one thing when you get penalty? Fine touch. Yeah. Fine touch. Just get the ball out. Who cares if it goes out um, 30 metres down or mm. 10 metres from where you kick it? Just get the ball out. And then Richie Moanga, I don't know what happened. He went into the phone box, put a Superman cape on, <laughs> and then tipped it back in again from basically the try line or two metres from our own try line. I mean, that was amazing. Brody Retallick had a solid game. Solid game. Another game up his, up his belt. 60 minutes, I think, because mm. I thought he might play the full game. Um, and um, Steve did say against Namibia that he'll play 30 minutes, and then Italy obviously got cancelled because of the typhoon. He'll play 60 minutes, which he played in this game, so hopefully next week against England he comes out and we see him put a full 80 minute. Interesting to see uh, where they put Scott Barrett when he came on. Interesting that he came on as um, Sam Kane number seven, didn't mm. he? Mm. Come on as the open side flanker. So that was very interesting. I thought uh, Matt Todd might have come in, but that Steve, he's changed that game up, and Steve's obviously seen something on the field that didn't quite require Matt Todd at that particular time. Yeah. Uh, great game by the All Blacks. I just thought the pressure and the rush defence on the All Blacks. And then, you know, Aaron Smith. Oh, what a game. What was it, 13 minutes in from the first half? Sniped around the ruck by the goalpost. Saw an opportunity and took it and went straight in. The sole Highlander in the team. Really? Yeah. The sole yeah, Highlander. Yeah. Highlander. True that. Yeah. And then again on the other side, um, I think there was a kick downfield, bit of a ruck going on. And um, one of the Irish was offside, so he was playing penalty advantage, Nigel Owens to us. Mm. And then Aaron Smith seen another gap. He was on fire, took it, yep. try time again. Aaron Smith for the double. That was good to see Aaron Smith on form because we haven't seen yeah. him play like that. And when he plays like that, he's the best halfback in the world. Yep, lethal. Um, Bowden Barrett, recreation of the famous 2015 try oh in the Rugby gosh. World Cup <laughs> to seal the deal. Reminds me, go Bodie, you got more pace, pick it up Bodie. Oh God, I felt uh, like jumping out of my seat and doing it all over this again. This is how this guy got famous. <laughs> We're going to do it all over again, are we? Um, but seven tries to the All Blacks, Cody Taylor. You know, it, it was like the All Blacks have gone through their trainings and they got like telepathy. They know where the other guy is and they just throw the ball up. Reed falls down, throws it up, Cody Taylor catches it straight over. Reed, how good was Rido? Stepped Immense. up big time. You know, he's and really squashed his critics, say that doubt him going into this World Cup. Mm. We know Kieran Reed's got it and he brought it. And George Brish, ah, uh, what can you say? I mean, Artie Severe making the break off load into Dane Coles, who took a tackle and then popped it up to Bridgie over for the try. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it was just endless, wasn't it? Matt Todd, straight in, try time. And then obviously Bowden Barrett to Geordie. Straight over, try time again. Seven tries to the All Blacks. Hey, but at least, you know, Ireland did come back. And they did get down there, and they did put pressure on us. Mm. And um, Robbie Henshaw did get a great try at the end. You know, I I, I wanted it to be nil. That big zero just yeah. really sends another message to the world. Yeah. Um. But the penalty try, I'm not too sure. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, that was odd, wasn't it? So Matt Todd, I, like he, I don't even think he he doesn't have eyes at the back of his head to begin with. I think he tripped over. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure he tripped. He it wasn't he, intentional. No, but he went to tackle. I can't remember what play it was, but it was like he tripped over another All Black, which then made him foul and. I think the first thing Nigel Owens pulled up was um, it was a um, uh, offside. Yeah. But 
he didn't come from offside, but he definitely went in with no arms. But I think he went in with no arms because he tripped over. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. He did. It yeah. was a very odd, odd decision. That well, one. it was an odd decision that he didn't go upstairs and check the TMO. Mm. Mm. Just to double check. Mm. You know, we've got no issues with that. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the quarterfinal for the uh, All Blacks taking on Ireland there. But we've got some key stats here. I just want to run through real quickly. Eh? Like, metres carried for the Irish, 239 metres. All Blacks, 488. Yeah. It's like a hundred percent more. Um, defenders beaten. This is line breaks, guys. You know, beating your one-on-one man or whoever's around. Um, Thirteen for Ireland. All Blacks thirty-two. Clean breaks. Ireland two. All Blacks eighteen. I mean, these are just yeah. what's that? That's nearly nine hundred percent more. I mean, that's just outrageous. Um, offloads. Ireland three. All Blacks fourteen. And we've seen how many offloads um, brought in the tries for the All Blacks, didn't we? Um, there was some stuff that was even, you know, rucks, rucks were about even, tackles were about even, missed tackles, here's a big one, yep. and this is what hurt us in Perth, missed tackles, Ireland, 32, 32. all blacks, 13, 13, okay, it's 13, that's, where it was that, loss. that's actually pretty, pretty good for missed tackles, yeah, obviously you don't want to miss tackles, but 13's pretty low, 32 missed tackles, 32, that says a lot, that's a lot of breaks, you know, um, turnovers, one in the own half, well, Ireland, 12, all blacks, 2, Meters made from kicks, 537 Ireland, 837 All Blacks. So there's some big yards being made by the All Blacks in this game, man. You could see that on the field. And two gentlemen going out with a bang for Ireland. Unfortunately, they didn't get the W this time around. But um, they should have immense pride in what they've accomplished playing for Ireland. Joe Smith and Rory Bess. And here's more from Steve Hansen. Yeah, firstly, um, before we talk too much about the game, I'd, I'd really like to take the opportunity on behalf of uh, myself and the All Blacks to congratulate two men and the opposition, uh, Rory Best and uh, Joe Smith. Both had magnificent uh, careers in their respective roles for Ireland. Uh, they've made a difference uh, in their time and it doesn't matter what team you play for, if you can make a difference while you're there, then you've done your job. So uh, both those guys I understand are fish, finishing up and um, we'd like just to acknowledge them publicly that what a wonderful job they've done. Well done, Rory Best and Joe Smith. And just to touch on that, Rory Best, 124 test caps. Huge. I mean, that's up there. He, that's got to be in the top 10, doesn't it? And then yeah. Joe Smith, I mean, I think on I think he's done 75 games or 75 test matches mm. and or 74 and he's won 75% of them. I mean, if that's not second highest to the All Blacks, I don't know what is. But that just shows you how respectful a, a man like Steve Hansen well, is. Steve Hansen's gone into the press conference. He's been asked questions about the All Blacks. And first of all, he just wants to share his thoughts straight away for the opposition team and what it means to him. Wales 20, France 19. What a game. Who would have thought? Yeah, well, the way the French started, you would have thought they were going to win by They got off to points. a ripper start. Yeah. But they aren't, we talked about it last week. A bit like solving the Rubik's Cube. I can't solve the Rubik's Cube, and I still can't solve the French thing. And, and after can. last night, yeah. I still can't solve the French thing. And they can't solve themselves. But where did <laughs> the, 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 the unorthodox play causes confusion in an opposition like Wales who are so structured, and then they play another team who are so unorthodox with unpredictability. How do you how do you play against that? It's France at their best. It's, it's their but natural game. It's what they know. But it mm. actually works for them, though. Of course it does. Wales struggled in that first half. It wasn't until the last 20 minutes or so where they actually clawed their way back. What was the score at halftime? Uh, 19 France to 10, 
Wales. But Wales didn't help themselves in the first half. Uh, Ross Moriarty got sent off, yellow card, head high yep. tackle. So that just put more ammo you know, and belief into the French, mm. um, especially going into the half. But then um, the French didn't help themselves either. The, the, one of the worst red cards I've seen in this tournament. Oh, you know, so, yeah, that was blatant. They should be, They should make him swim home to France. He should have not, not only did he try and uh, choke him with his arm, first and foremost, he then elbows him in the face. He didn't elbow him. It was like, it was like a, a, a street brawl. He basically he had his arm around a um, uh, player of the match, uh, Aaron um, Winwright. The yep. flanker, number seven for Wales. Yeah, he had his arm around his head. Um, Who deserves an Oscar, by the way, for his performance? Oh, outstanding! Um, out <laughs> Forrest, like Forrest Gump, he was just running for it, wasn't he? When he got, we'll talk about that shortly. But um, Sebastian Bahamahina, he scored the first try for France. Probably one of the best players on hey, the field at that time. He was playing an awesome game. But he had his arm around his neck, right? They were in a mall next to the Wales try line. They were probably about the score. Nigel says, "Hey, get your arm off his neck." He gets it off, he brings it around, and then gives him the elbow from hell straight into his jaw. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he did that. That was just crazy. That's, I mean, I've seen two bad red cards in this tournament yeah. where they've got to go. The one was against South Africa with the two Italian guys, pole driving, I forget who it was, down into the oh. ground, and this one here. Yep, it's difficult for any team to win a match when you're down by one player uh, for the entire match. Like I said, make him swim home. He doesn't deserve <laughs> a plane ride home. Um, How guilty would he be feeling after that match, though? Losing by one point. Oh, oh just letting yeah. the team down. But right up until, I, I can't remember, maybe maybe seven, eight minutes to go on the clock, France were winning, yeah, you know? Yeah. And they were down at the um, France try line, probably five metres from the try line. Um, a, a, a mall broke out, or it could have been post the scrum, actually. A um, bit of a mall broke out after the scrum, and the halfback for Wales just sort of like ripped the ball out of the French guy's hands. It went up in the air, it, but a little bit of controversy. Some say it went forward. Mm. Hard to tell. You probably have to give it as a line ball. Hey, yeah, and they looked at that. It's got to be beyond reasonable doubt that you know that it's gone forward, and I don't think it was. And then Ross Moriarty, who got sent off for the yellow card, redeems himself and scores <laughs> to try to win the game. So, you know, I think the Didn't Welsh... play of the match? Uh, no, that went to Aaron Winwright, the guy who got oh, elbowed, yeah, who got oh, the first yeah, try. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that try. Um, one of the French guys um, dropped the ball. Aaron Winwright picked the ball up and sprinted, and I'm talking like sprinted, Forrest Gump style. Yeah. He just burnt. But the French players just gave up, and that's what um, gave Wales some momentum to go forward. So another, um, what would you call that game? And, um, that was, i tell you what, there were parallels this match to the semi-final in 2011 here in New Zealand. Uh, well, except the scores were the other way around. Uh, France won that one by one point. And Sam Warburton got red carded during that match. Was it a red so card? Very similar circumstances, yeah. Suspiciously so, freakishly so. Uh, so Wales will be feeling much better after this match. Uh, but why, but why, why, I don't, I don't want to go back to France. This, this really irks me, eh? Mm. So you spend four years, you've just got to the World Cup, you're going through all your pool games, and now you're into the quarterfinals. And you give an elbow, <laughs> and you get a red card, and you go off. You've but, just let your yeah. whole team, you've let your country, you've let your coach, you've, you've let everyone down. Um, one player for Wales I do want to talk about who, I don't know, he, he's just, he, he reminds me a little bit of Sexton at the moment and Conor Murray. He just hasn't, just hasn't come of age, and that's George North. Oh, it yeah. just seems like he's gone missing. Where was he? I mean, he's a unit. 
Isn't he like six foot two and 110 kg winger? He just seems not to. I, I don't know if he's not getting involved or. I think it's the structure that Wales play to. They just don't give him opportunities. It just does not get out that far very often. Yeah. Hopefully he comes up. I like George North, so hopefully he can bring it going into the semi-finals against the Springboks. It's going to be a massive occasion. They only just beat Tonga by two points. And here's a team who's in a quarter-final. They, they lose by one point, but they're in the lead by a solid nine points against Wales, who were at some point this year number one in the world. They're the own worst enemies, aren't they? Ladies and gentlemen, Wales 20, France 19. Moved to the semi-finals. And the final quarter-final of the weekend was South Africa, who got up 26 points to three against Japan. The dream is now over. Gone. Japan. We were watching it around your place. We had a South African mate. Shout out to Caleb. <laughs> Shout watching out to it with us, all in his, uh, <laughs> in, his, in his Springboks jersey and a South African flag, getting right into it. He was nervous as hell, wasn't he? First Springbok I've had in my house. and uh, <laughs> He come in pretty confident, eh? But as we all know, and we'll probably we'll touch on the first half, but 5-3 at half time, Japan, you could say uh, edge of your seat was an understatement. Yep, and I've never seen a man so nervous before. So we touch on Japan. Uh, the dream is over, like I say. Uh, but listen, they're the first ever... Asian team to, to make a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal, so full credit to them. Uh, here's a little bit from Jamie Joseph post-match. The last five minutes of that test match, um, for me, really pitches the type of team this is. A team that, um, when we're down by 20, I don't even know what the score was, but it was 20-odd points. Um, the never-die attitude and the ability to keep on getting up. Um, guys have got broken ribs in there. Guys have come back off the bench because of injuries. Just that willingness to just never lay down is something that I'm incredibly proud of as their coach. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that will help us go forward after the World Cup all finishes. Very proud. We can't talk about Japan without talking about their coach, Jamie Joseph. Uh, so before we touch on South Africa, obviously an emphatic victory in the end for them on the scoreboard, but we do need to Brutal talk a lot victory about Japan end. first and foremost. So Jamie Joseph, Tony Brown, first of all, does Jamie Joseph deserve a knighthood? Tough call. Uh, does he deserve a knighthood? Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm not, are you asking me or are you asking the Governor General? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'll leave that up to the um, I'll leave that up to the Governor General to decide whether he's a knighthood. Undefeated in pool play, uh, Michael Leach is now a cult hero. He's got his own. He's got his own. Uh, he's got his own. Uh, chant in the crowd. Leech. Look, <laughs> the Japanese crowd will now get in behind the All Blacks, but there was a lot of emotion out there. Oh, look! I, to be honest, like we've seen big games in Cardiff, haven't mm. we? We've gone out in two thousand and seven against France. We've seen the big games in Twickenham. You know, um, Eden Park. We've seen emotion. Yep. But I haven't seen emotion quite like the Japanese oh. crowd because it's it's not that the the hurting. They just care so much for their team and yep. the passion and the humbleness, you know. They fell in love with the Brave Blossoms and you could see it on their faces post-match in the crowd. They were all in tears. It was amazing. Amazing to watch. The players were in tears. The supporters were in tears. But there were also tears of pride, weren't they? I think that, yeah, you know, that's what it was. They came from, you know, they, they had such belief that they could go far, but they had such um, um, passion and pride in their own team. I think that's what drawed it out, the emotions. There's going to be a lot of overseas clubs with a lot of money looking at some of these players during this World Cup. And a few of the players that they should be looking at, and I'd be very surprised if they don't end up with a big money contract, Kinki Fukuoka, the winger. 
He's got to go. Someone's well, got to pick him up. Pick him up. Actually, bring him here and put him in the blues. Oh, the blues. Put him <laughs> in the blues. Hey, we can't talk, man. Barrett, Barrett's now playing. Bodie. Bodie's playing for the blues now. Come on, Bodie. Fukuoka. Kotaro Matsushima, the other winger. Kotaro Matsushima. A revelation. Outst- oh, outstanding. On the wing. Freakish. Absolutely. Kazuki Hameno, the number eight. Still a young guy. I think he's 23, 24. Got a bright future ahead of him. Shota Horia, the hooker. Who apparently was uh, yeah was up in the air before the match. Wasn't too sure whether he was going to play or not. He nuggety had to look at a hooker, isn't he? Oh, exactly nuggety. what you should expect from a hooker. Talking about Nuggety, their halfback Nuggety. <laughs> <laughs> what a player! Oh, he's also going to be. I would. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get picked up by a overseas club. So lots of talent in that Japanese squad. Can they come back in four years' time and produce similar results? I think they can if they can like get. This this is a discussion that we need to have around the table, eh? Relegation. You take Italy out and put yep. Japan in. There's got to be a conversation around it. We can't just have this tier one, uh, tier two nations, sorry, who have just been two tier one teams, Scotland and Ireland, yeah. and with all respect, even though it was in 2015, they beat South Africa. Yep. Um, we've got to talk about bringing them in. Whether it's into the Championship Cup, mm. why can't we have five teams? Mm. Put them in the six nations. Call it the seven nations. Do something. Yeah, and look, we have to. There has to be a wider discussion. World Rugby needs to look at this uh, in a bit more detail, and they have to give Jap- Japan a tournament to play in in between World Cups. They can't just keep waiting every four years. For they won the pre- Pacific Nations Cup, which was uh, what USA, Canada, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Japan. They won it. They did. They did. So and there was yeah, there was talk earlier in the year from World Rugby about this massive World League, including ten to twelve of the major Tier One nations. That obviously got canned, but. They need to look at including Japan in some major tournament somewhere in the world in the next four years because if they don't, it'll be a waste. So uh, Japan miss out, but we need to talk about South Africa. Uh, in the end, they uh, stuck to their game plan and it worked. Uh, you would have seen uh, Fafta Klerk kicking, box kick after box kick after box and kick. And we're a little bit sceptical, weren't we, we against Fafta Klerk about so he, he hadn't quite hit his stride in this game. Um, even Vili LaRue, you know. Um, I thought he had a slightly better game, but he's he's still lacking, isn't he, from the old days? Um, maybe because other people are contesting the high ball now. He's normally a, a quite um, accurate yeah, at yeah. catching the high ball, yeah. but people are going up and contesting it. And I suppose now, if you jump up as they jump up, and you're looking at the ball, knowing that you're probably not going to get it, you're not going to get penalised. So the beast, the prop for uh, the Springboks, got yellow card lucky. in that first half. If, if, Very lucky. Lucky. The way I mean, he landed. It was if only on his shoulder, but if it was on his head, he would have been red. Yeah, on. and Wayne Barnes didn't go upstairs to the TMO. Look, I mean, as we talked about today, as mm. long as they're consistent in their decisions that yeah. they make. So yeah. we don't want anything bad to happen. I didn't touch on it before with Artie Severe. He got a bit of a neck roll um, from, who was it, um, one of the Irish guys. Um, and it, it, it was a penalty, but no more. But that was quite a blatant neck roll. Yeah. We did a couple of small neck rolls later on, which we got away with as well. So that's consistency. Neck roll. Yeah, neck roll. The word of the weekend. Neck roll. Neck roll. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, the Beast got sent off uh, for 10 minutes. Yellow card. And Japan tried their very best. They still didn't really make a dent in the defence of um, of the South Africans. No, did it? Of the scrum no. box. Of the scrum, the seven-man scrum. The, like, Japan, there was one scrum and they went nuts. They yeah. won it. They got a penalty. They managed to claw it back from 5-0 to 5-3. And that's where it stayed up until half time. Uh, by that time, the beast had come back on the field, although back to 15 men again. And so when the second half came around, it was just a matter of when 
the Springboks would pull away. Mm. And they did. And I was hoping deep down that they wouldn't, but they did. Uh, so their key player, their, well, their outstanding player actually was uh, Makazoli Mapimpi on the wing, scoring two tries. Cheslin Kobe was very quiet in that match. Yeah, I don't know if they didn't. I mean, uh, Mapimpi played awesome. Mm. You know, he got the ball. He looked strong on attack, didn't he? You know, he's taking down players, clean breaks. He's doing everything a winger should. But uh, Cheslin Kobe, um, yeah, may, may, sometimes wingers, the ball just doesn't yeah, go that that's way. that's exactly right. Um and we talked, you touched on it very briefly around the handling skills, the poor handling skills by the South Africans that hurt them a lot, in that, especially in that first they, half. I reckon they, I reckon they um, dropped about, I don't know, two or three tries just through handling skills and doing those one-on-one basics. So. Yeah, and Willie LaRue and uh, Lucanio Am, the centre, were the main offenders there. Yeah. They were dropping at left, right and centre. Uh, halfback, like we talked about, Faf de Klerk, in the end he persisted with this kicking game. And in the final 10 to 20 minutes of the match, South Africa basically had all the territory and all the possession. Japan just couldn't get their hands on the ball. They couldn't get down the other end of the field either. But one of the guys who, um, who's who been a bit slow and a bit bland in the South African midfield, who actually had a fantastic game, a very strong game, was um, Damien Delalinde. Oh, Delalinde, yeah. It, oh, that, he was unlucky not to I don't, was he awarded that try. Yeah, like... I would have gave it to him. I'm not a ref, but they say I don't know what the rule is around it. If they, you know, if you hold him down, if he's held down, yep. there was a, maybe one or two like seconds half, where half, he was even half, half yeah, yep. half a second. Um, but hey, yeah, he took his opportunities, didn't he? So in the end, looking at the stats, uh, it was quite tight numbers wise. Uh, possession, Japan, fifty four percent possession were in, in front there. Territory was literally fifty fifty. Uh, passes, Japan had uh, through more passes. In terms of runs, Japan were ahead on that as well. Meters run, South Africa were ahead there. Defenders beaten, Japan were ahead on that. Clean breaks, South Africa, they made a few. Uh, tackles, a lot more tackles by South Africa, surprisingly enough. Uh, in the end, it was three tries to nothing. And turnovers conceded, huge numbers here, 20 turnovers conceded by Japan and 18 turnovers conceded by the South Africans. This just shows you the, the handling errors yep. uh, creeping into the South African game. 18 turnovers for a team that has been talked about as being a World Cup winner. So that's a wrap-up of all the quarterfinals and now we look forward to the semi-finals this weekend. We've got the All Blacks. Yeah, let's go. Against England and we've got Wales against the Springboks. Please tune in on Thursday night. We'll be having a new podcast previewing the two major semi-finals coming up this weekend. But to finish off tonight, we have a nice soft touch by the brother. The Brave Blossoms. You set the world alight and captured the world's imagination with your outstanding performances. You gave it your all. You will look back on the achievements you have accomplished in this Rugby World Cup with immense pride and honour. You have not only won the hearts of Japan, but of rugby supporters from around the world. On behalf of the All Black supporters, we salute you. Tomo harikato kazaimasta.